Thank you, Pastor Jekyll and um, brethren here in Lavington. Uh, greetings from Calvary Baptist Church, uh, from uh, Pastor Malari, and uh, for the uh, opportunity to be here and celebrate uh, and uh, remember and be reminded of how things were perhaps uh, a long time ago. There's many of you here that uh, are not even 40 years of age. So you might find it a little bit difficult to grasp that length of time and what the Lord's done here. Uh, but he has been good. I notice there's no clock anywhere. That's no, all right. I, I probably won't get to look at it anyway. But uh, um, at Benalla, I think Pastor McConnell said one time, they don't have a clock on the back wall. They've got a calendar. So uh, I don't think we'll be here that long because uh, the lunch is uh, beckoning. Uh, but let's pray before we continue. Our Father, we are thankful uh, for your many blessings to us, uh, for having uh, raised up uh, those men and women as missionaries who uh, came to Albury, uh, came to this place, uh, went to a shop and shared the gospel with uh, some people, and that they're still here. Uh, we thank you that uh, your work is ongoing, uh, your servants uh, remain faithful uh, for the testimony of uh, the grace of God, the goodness of God, uh, the reality of it in the lives of people here. Uh, as we think on these things and uh, open your word together and uh, lift our voices in praise, uh, read the scriptures, uh, give testimony, uh, enjoy a time of fellowship, encourage one another. Uh, we thank you that you uh, are pleased uh, with our worship if we would worship you in spirit and in truth. Uh, thank you for the folk here, for uh, Pastor and Mrs. Jekyll who have been here for 40 of those 44 years uh, and that you have kept them and uh, watched over them, uh, watched over each one uh, that makes up this body of believers today. Uh, for all that uh, you know we need, uh, we thank you that you're able, you're more than sufficient. Uh, for the wickedness of the world that we live in, we're thankful that the gospel is still powerful to transform lives, uh, to save the lost, uh, to uh, enable Holy Spirit indwelt believers uh, to live for you. Uh, we rejoice in all these things today as we remember and give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Church anniversaries like birthdays in people uh, are significant. Uh, the marking of time is important. The arrival at milestones it's not quite the same as a kilometre stone, is it? But it's uh, the same thing. Uh, there's a marker set up for people to uh, orientate them as to where they are. Uh, along uh, the length of their journey, they can uh, take their bearings, they can make adjustments, they can do what they need to do. Uh, the arrival at milestones uh, is to be recognised and celebrated. It's the achievement uh, of goals. And perhaps this afternoon when testimonies are given, there is much that could be said uh, and uh, much that needs to be said uh, of God's goodness um, to you here at Lavington Baptist Church. Uh, in 1972, when uh, Pastor Evan Goff uh, came, uh, I doubt if he could have imagined uh, that we would be here now uh, all these years later. 1974, when... Um, the church started, uh, the world was a different place. Uh, some can remember those days, uh, wishing that our present day was a little more like things were then in some ways. In other ways, we're thankful for progress. And to think that uh, 40 years ago, when um, a young uh, Pastor Gavin and Jill Jekyll, um, having survived their junior uh, diaconate years, uh, are here now and they're still here. It's an amazing thing in this day and age uh, that uh, a marriage would survive that long and that a pastor would survive that long in the same place. 
Not many uh, can give testimony to that reality, and it's a wonderful thing to be able to do that. It's been said that uh, missions uh, are the heart of God, and uh, we would probably say amen to that. Uh, And if missions uh, uh, is the heart of God, then the church is the work of God. Uh, Calvary is the completed work. Uh, The church is the continuing work. And it's been continuing for some time here. And we continue uh, today from the day of Pentecost till the day of the rapture. Uh, The Lord said, I will build my church. And the size of it and the composition of it uh, and the circumstances of it are all his business. Uh, And as um, uh, Brother, um, I'm sorry, I forgot your name. Langlands, uh, he said uh, the important thing is to remain faithful. Uh, And uh, the testimony is uh, that you have been faithful and the Lord always is faithful and Uh, We are reminded of that. Uh, In thinking about uh, your 44th anniversary, um, uh, I thought I'd um, consider just the numbers, not that this is anything mystical, uh, but in the Hebrew language, uh, they don't have separate numbers. They have letters of the alphabet as the numbers. Uh, And the number four is uh, the number of the earth because God made the earth on day four. Uh, The divisions uh, of mankind are into four. Uh, When the pastor was preaching through the book of Revelation, uh, there were the four beasts that were around the throne uh, representing uh, all of creation. Uh, Have you wondered why there are four Gospels? Not just one. Uh, Or maybe three for the Trinity. Or maybe five because it's full of grace. But there are four. Matthew presents uh, the lion of the tribe of Judah, saying, Behold the king. Luke, uh, pictured in the ox, saying, Behold the servant. Luke, the perfect man, behold the son of man. John, pictured by the eagle, saying, Behold the son of God. And there are many more things we could say about the Lord and about God, but Uh, The Holy Spirit uh, gave us four Gospels uh, for a good reason. Uh, And in some way, we see that they match the four colours of the tabernacle curtains. Wonderful coincidence, some would say. But it's uh, God's wonderful design in all of that. Uh, We see the purple proclaiming, Behold your King. We see the scarlet saying, Behold the servant. We see the white saying, Behold the Son of Man. And we see the blue that takes our thoughts to heaven. Behold, the Son of God. There are four cardinal points to the compass. Why is there four? North, south, east and west. Uh, why do we talk about the four corners of the earth when the earth is a sphere? Uh, it's because it covers it all. Uh, the number four, fourth book of the Old Testament, the book of Numbers, has an amazing similarity to the 44th book of the Bible, which is the book of Acts. Uh, In uh, the wanderings, uh, we see Israel in the wilderness. Uh, In the book of Acts, we see the church in the world. Not that the church is a replacement for Israel, nor Israel for the church. Two separate things, we understand that. Uh, But there are some similarities in the way God deals with his people uh, in a world that is in opposition to them. How many times do we see uh, 40 days, 40 years, the wanderings were 40 years. The Lord was tempted for 40 days. Uh, Moses uh, was 40 years in the wilderness, came back to lead the people through uh, that same wilderness for another 40 years, having survived the first 40 years in Egypt. Um, God's wonderful way uh, of uh, revealing himself, even in the number 40, uh, has to do with um, judgment, has to do with testing, uh, has to do with victory. Uh, the Lord was victory Uh, victorious after his 40 days and being tempted of the wicked one. Uh, Moses, uh, as uh, he approached the uh, Red Sea, God parted it for him and then for 40 years they wandered and the Lord provided water for them and he provided victory for them uh, against uh, Amalek and uh, amazing things that he did for all that time. And then we find uh, that uh, the Lord's last chapter in his life Uh, We know that there were 40 days from the ascension to 
uh, from the uh, resurrection to the ascension, uh, but from Calvary to the ascension, there are 44 days. Uh, the time of his earthly ministry was uh, 44 months and four days. Uh, coincidence, as you might say, uh, what does that mean to us? Uh, well, it means uh, that uh, there are significant things that the Word of God has chosen to number. And uh, as a congregation, you have chosen to number uh, these 44 years. So we rejoice in the Lord's goodness. We recognise his work. Uh, we remember as we look back to the days when we saw his hand lift us up when we were weary. Uh, we look back to his word that has sustained for all those years. Uh, and uh, we are thankful for his ever watchful eye guarding us. And to mark this day is a wonderful, significant thing for you to do as a church. And we also, I believe, need to renew our commitment to continue as we have begun, to look down that road that we have not yet travelled, uh, knowing that the Lord has a purpose in everything that he will send our way. Uh, we had a reading from Second uh, Peter chapter 3. If you'd like to turn there, please, we'll look at that. Second Peter chapter 3. Uh, the passage uh, was read from verses 14 to uh, 18. Uh, as Peter concludes uh, his uh, second epistle, uh, this is uh, the once impulsive, uh, once cowardly, once disloyal, uh, now recovered, now reinstated, now bold in power of the Holy Spirit, fearless in his message, he encourages uh, his brethren of the day that were struggling with heresies and false teachers and persecutions and the troubles of life. And he reminds the believer that uh, there is a, a risen saviour uh, who is coming again. And that in the meantime, uh, they have the authority and the power of the word of God. And it's this disciple that knew what it was to weep bitterly at having denied his Lord, longing to be reconciled, knowing how difficult it is to put things right and having to wait, but learn to wait, encourages his readers now with some closing thoughts where he could have said anything about all manner of things to do with Christian living. Uh, and he says in the last two verses, ye therefore... In light of all that you are and all that you know and all that you have in Christ, ye therefore beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. And he knew what it was to have fallen from steadfastness from personal experience. But grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, to whom be glory both now and forever. Amen. He could have encouraged growth in a whole number of things. But it's interesting that he would pick two. Uh, after, first of all, the warning to beware, uh, to be careful, to be on guard, to be watchful. Uh, he knew what it was to let his guard down. Uh, he knew what it was to be intimidated by a servant girl. Uh, he knew what it was to have walked with the Lord for those three and a half years and see him do incredible things and uh, that very night declare his faithfulness to the death. And here he finds himself uh, with the reputation for all time as the one who betrayed his Lord. What a terrible thing to have fallen so low. But what a wonderful thing and an exercise of the grace of God to be elevated back to a place of service. Who was it that stood up on the day of Pentecost? It was Peter. Who was it that went to the Gentiles? Uh, it was Peter. Uh, who was it that uh, fell into uh, the confusion of mind in Galatia and uh, wanted to do kosher all over again and, and Paul had to rebuke him? So this man has had the gamut uh, of the Christian experience, the highs and the lows. And he says to the brethren as he uh, closes his letter to them, uh, be careful. Watch out, because there is an enemy uh, that will lead you astray with the error of the wicked. Uh, all error is satanic. 
Uh, all opposition to the Bible uh, stems from Satan, uh, his desire to deny and to bring into question the word of God uh, way back in uh, Genesis chapter 3. And he's still at it. And uh, you that have been here uh, during the studies in the book of Revelation uh, know uh, we know his end, uh, but we know his activity in the meantime. So he says, watch out, beware, don't fall from your steadfastness. Uh, and if there could be an encouragement to a church on an anniversary day, it would be don't fall from your steadfastness, that you have a reputation around this country, uh, in uh, countries uh, overseas, uh, in the United States from where the missionaries came. Uh, Lavington Baptist Church has a reputation of steadfastness. Uh, your pastor has a reputation uh, of not only being a survivor, but being a faithful survivor. And I'm not talking about his heart situation here. I'm talking about his big heart in the ministry sense of the word, being a survivor in the ministry. Uh, Pastor McConnell uh, at Benalla, uh, having uh, survived uh, and led uh, that church from small beginnings, as we all start, we all start small. And uh, he has handed that on and there is uh, a faithful continuation of the work. Uh, but we need to beware, we need to be careful, uh, we need to make a note of the enemy's activity. Uh, there is a danger and then there is a direction that he points to and that direction is growth. And numerical growth and financial growth and all those growths would be wonderful, uh, but the growth he's focusing on is spiritual. And it's in a, a wonderful aspect of the Christian life, uh, in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Uh, our focus needs to be him. Uh, we find all about him in the book. And so our focus needs to remain in the book. And he says, grow in him, increase in him, be enlarged in him. Uh, this is a command. This is not an option. This is a requirement of the Christian life. We are called to grow. We're commanded to increase in these areas that are very important. So if we are called to grow in something, it means that that something is already there. Uh, we are all familiar with the grace of God. We're all familiar to some degree uh, with uh, a knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Peter, in uh, these um, a few chapters in First and Second Peter, uh, mentions grace 12 times in these um, short words that he gives to us. Uh, and we as believers, uh, and even many unbelievers, uh, know, but perhaps not in a personal way, but they know of amazing grace. They might not know John Newton and that he was a slave trader and a slave himself who wrote those wonderful words. We know that uh, there is grace to save. We know that there is transforming grace. We know that there is merciful grace. We know that there is abundant grace. We know that uh, grace is uh, even exceedingly abundant, uh, we are told in the scripture. And if I'm to grow in this grace of the Lord Jesus and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, uh, the encouraging thing is that God knows that we can. So it's not over uh, when we reach some plateau, some milestone, 44 years, but we go on, don't we? Uh, we're looking for 45, we're looking for 50, unless we're going to celebrate that around the throne in heaven, and that may well be. But until then, we're continuing on looking for the next one. Grace, what is it? Well, the uh, lexicons, uh, and uh, we often talk about uh, grace as uh, God's riches at Christ's expense. Uh, there are different ways of understanding grace. Uh, it's a, a, a free gift. It's favour, it's divine favour, unmerited, undeserved, uh, kindness given. Uh, also has the idea of a, a disposition. We talk about uh, being gracious, we're talking about an attitude, we're talking about a heart condition. Um, grace is all of those things. Uh, our attitude towards one another. Uh, in First uh, Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 19 and 20, the same word is used and translated in our English as being thankful. Uh, being acceptable, uh, being gracious, knowing these things uh, about the Lord. And nearly 150 times uh, in the New Testament we find reference to grace. 
The Bible speaks of it often, speaks of it directly. Uh, it's implied uh, in many things uh, regarding the Lord and his activity in the affairs of humanity. Uh, it's in the mind of God, always it was in the mind of God in the Garden of Eden, uh, even before man sinned, before the foundation of the world. Uh, God decreed that his only begotten son uh, would at the appointed time uh, come in the form of a man and take his place on a cross uh, for sins that man had not yet committed. Uh, so gracious is God in his dealings with humanity. Uh, Dr. R.W. Dale says this about grace and he was uh, living in the 1800s uh, around about Spurgeon's time. Uh, he said grace uh, is a divine energy, uh, indefinable so why are we trying to define it? Well, we have to get some sort of handle on it. If we're going to grow in it, we need to understand it somewhat. It says, Grace is love which passes beyond all claims to love. It is love which after fulfilling the obligations imposed by law has an inexhaustible wealth of kindness. Now, wouldn't it be good if everybody in the church committed themselves to grow in being kind to one another, in being gracious in their attitude to one another, uh, indefinable, so vast that you can barely get your mind onto it. Um, we have uh, king parrots that come and visit our house. And uh, if you know king parrots at all, if, you're, if you like birds, uh, they're the most beautiful, gorgeous, friendly, uh, compared to the uh, rainbow lorikeets that are small and aggressive and... Uh, Anyway, uh, they've got uh, wonderful feathers and you can take one of these, uh, one fell to the ground uh, and you look at it and you marvel at this one feather, uh, how beautiful it is. Uh, but then when you put it on the bird and you see the bird in its totality, you think, oh, what a marvellous piece of creation and, and beauty. Uh, and the grace of God and the teaching of the grace of God is like that. You can take one little aspect, uh, but when you put it together on the whole bird and, and you see it, uh, fluff its wings out and you see it in its glory. That's how we need to understand the grace of God. Not uh, one verse here, one verse there, but uh, in its magnificent totality, that this is who God is. Uh, and Peter says, would you grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? Would you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? What a wonderful thing that we're able to grow in that. Growing grace. In Christ-likeness, in other words. Grow in the ability to have our words be gracious. Uh, when he was criticised, when he was abused, when he reviled, he reviled not again. He's described as being full of grace and truth. Can you imagine being full of grace and then increasing in that? The Lord's way of filling something up is to fill it and to keep filling it until it is overflowing and everything around it gets the benefit of that which has filled it. Uh, God's people, full of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, overflowing, pouring yourselves out onto each other until the whole place is awash with grace. This is Peter. This is impulsive, um, foot-in-mouth disease, um, illogical crazy man who would do amazing things and he says grow in grace grow in grace it is grace uh, that is given to the humble and we want the grace perhaps without the humility uh, the Lord is the ultimate example of humility is he not leaving the glories of heaven to walk among wicked sinful men allowing himself to be spat upon and abused and rejected and he says well I'll love them anyway I'll go to the cross even if they deny it I will rise from the dead even if they spread rumours that it's all not true and it's all just a fairy story uh, I will reveal myself in uh, this uh, gathering of uh, fishermen and tax collectors and uh, ordinary nobodies and the world will be transformed it will never be the same again the grace of God grace touches every part of life Every action, every word, every thought will become soaked in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
In Romans 3.24, we are told we are justified by his grace. It's a, a, a judicial act of uh, the Almighty declaring a sinner to be righteous, robed in the righteousness of Christ by grace. We are under grace, not under law. We're told in Romans chapter, chapter 6, uh, we're no longer under uh, that uh, bondage uh, that uh, reminds us that we are incapable uh, of satisfying God in ourselves. We're redeemed, we're ransomed, we're reconciled, we're sanctified, and there's about half a dozen messages there and we don't have time long enough today uh, to even scratch the surface on any of that. And we read uh, with uh, great joy and wonder in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, where sin abounded... Grace did much more abound. How can you abound more than abounding? And we know how wicked and sinful the world is and we see sin abounding everywhere. And Romans says grace did much more abound. So then some would take that as license to sin so that they can get more grace. Uh, what a, a disgusting uh, distortion of a precious truth and a reality that God will be gracious even to a sinner. That's no excuse to sin more. That's no license for the Christian to live as they please. Uh, we ought to not be feeding the flesh. We ought to be, for the glory of God, growing in grace. That's what we're supposed to be doing. So if this is so important, why is it so important? Well, it is because sin is so ugly and sin is so disgusting. And the Bible talks about sin in different ways. Uh, and it's uh, plentiful and uh, there are multiple words to describe it. Uh, sin is talked about as being guilt, it's talked about as being evil, it's talked about as being ignorant, it's talked about as being godless, it's talked about as being a transgression, uh, a missing the mark, being bad, going astray, unrighteousness, falling away, lawlessness, hypocrisy. And these things abound. And aren't we glad to read that on top of all of this grace? God's kindness did much more abound. We see that uh, sin, when it is finished, James chapter 1, verse 15, bringeth forth death. Awful thing that sin is. The effect of sin on the Saviour, on the Son of God, on the sinner, on humanity, uh, is uh, uh, manifold. The effect of sin on the sovereign God caused God to suffer, caused God to seek sinners, caused God to provide a saviour. We see sin effect uh, on the sinner, on the lost person. Uh, it um, robs us uh, of the presence of God. It creates a separation. It's a problem we can't solve by ourselves. The effect of sin on the Saviour. He became sin for us. Can we imagine that? That he became sin. This uh, ugly, disgusting list of everything that is wrong in the world and in humanity. Uh, the Lord took upon himself and he became it. So that we might have the righteousness of God imputed to us. A work of grace. What a wonderful thing. He bore our sins. He bore your sin and mine. The ugliness of it. The power of it. And he smashed it to pieces. The effect of sin on the saint. Chastening comes because of it. Confession is called for because of it. And praise God, forgiveness and cleansing is given to it. So where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Wonderful subject, isn't it? And we're taking one little feather of one little part of the wing and we're looking at it and we're marvelling at it and we say, praise God, thank you. And we thank those missionaries that came to start this church all those years ago. And we thank all those that have worked to preserve it being here until this day and for those that we can hand it on to when our time is finished that someone else would continue and carry on uh, what the Lord said he would begin and build and continue uh, in each one of us until the day of redemption for us.
What a wonderful thing. So what are we supposed to do here with this grace? Sin is terrible. Grace is everywhere. Uh, it's said of um, Turner's paintings, I don't know if you know Turner's paintings, large watercolours and oil paintings of uh, atmosphere and sunsets and beautiful things. Uh, it's said of his paintings that if you can cut one square inch, about the size of a 20 cent piece, uh, anywhere from any one of his skies and you will see light radiating from it. And it's like that with the grace of God. You can take one verse, one little portion, uh, and you can see the glory and the wonder of the Saviour uh, in uh, any verse that has to do with the grace of God. It's vast. It's all glorious. Recorded in the Word of God, radiated by the Son of God. Even a small study of it, which is all we're doing here, um, of any part of it exposes the greatness and the vastness of every part of it. So growing uh, in this grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, growing in knowledge of our Lord, uh, understanding uh, more about him, how much do we know about him, how much do we know about his character, how much do we know about his teaching, how much do we know about his miracles, how much do we know about his promises, how much do we know about his prophecies, it's all in the book. That's why we preach the book here. That's why you have Sunday school. That's why you have ministry to children. That's why you have ministry for men and for ladies and uh, for um, um, seniors and uh, young people and uh, prayer meeting and Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon and no Sunday night tonight. Uh, but generally you do. Uh, why? Because pastor wants to take every opportunity to present the word of God. Because this is how we come to have an understanding of the grace of God and the wonderful knowledge of God. Uh, his character, uh, a study of who he is. Um, we could look uh, at any, any book. We could look at uh, one book. We could look at John's Gospel. Uh, and we see that he is described in his own words as saying, I am the bread of life to the hungry and needy as he fed them. I am the light of the world to the blind man who was... Uh, uh, in ignorance, in darkness, and he gave him light. Uh, he says, I am the door, uh, speaking to those uh, in a shepherd context uh, and sheep, and he's the good shepherd. He's also the resurrection and the life, the verse that's on the back wall here. He is the way, the truth and the life. He is the true vine. You can begin with his names uh, at the letter A and you can find that he is the author of salvation. He's the ancient of days. He's the almighty which is. He is our advocate. He is the anchor. He is the apostle. He is the altogether lovely one. Then we can see that he is the beginning of creation. He is the beloved of God. He is the branch of righteousness. He's the bridegroom. He's a bright and morning star. Then we see that he's the creator of all things. He's the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, the captain of our salvation. He's the counsellor. He's the chiefest among 10,000. And we find that he is the desire of all nations. He's the daysman. He's the deliverer. He is mighty to save and to set at liberty the captive. He is the Emmanuel. He is the eternal God. He is the one who is from everlasting to everlasting, uh, the engraver of the name, uh, the elect servant. And we're not going to go all the way through the alphabet, but we could. We could. Hundreds of references and understanding, growing in the knowledge of God and understanding of him uh, is what knowledge means. Do we understand the mind of God? How can we? We could spend a lifetime devoted to that subject and that alone and we will have scratched the surface like we would take one little feather from that king parrot and we would marvel at it every day of our life and we would say, thank you, Lord, for who you are. Wonderful thing. His character, his teaching, all that he taught about himself. We see him in the Gospel of John in chapter 1, a sevenfold description. We don't have time to turn there. Uh, but it uh, highlights that he is God, he is deity, he is God in the flesh. 
he came to his own and his own received him not, but to as many as received him. What did he give? Power to become the sons of God, authority, uh, privilege, a new life, undeserved, mocked and rejected, and yet he gave it to them. We see his miracles. He gave healing to the sick. He reached out to the leper. He touched the unclean. He needn't have. He could have just spoke the healing. He could have even not even spoken. And they would have all been healed. But he reached out and he touched them. And he anointed the blind with some spittle and some mud. Put his hand in a deaf person's ear. He called on a cripple to stretch out his hand, knowing that he couldn't in himself, but he did. And all those in the synagogue, rather than marvel that Messiah in our midst, they criticised him, they abused him, called him a lawbreaker, an outcast. They wanted to take him and throw him off a cliff and kill him. And his promises to never leave us nor forsake us. Promise that he's coming again. Promise that he will give us everything we could ever need if we would but ask him. And then his prophecies, proclaiming his birth, the wonder of Bethlehem. They lived in Nazareth. They came to Bethlehem. The last place on earth that he stayed at was Bethany before he ascended into heaven. His life, the cross, the resurrection, the marvellous wonders of all that he has done. What may come of such growth, you might say, is it all worth it? Why should I bother? After all, growth requires work, effort, input, consistency, commitment. You're not going to grow in anything if you don't practice it. Uh, your muscles aren't going to grow if you don't stretch them and break them and have them repaired and grow in strength. What could come from such a growth in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus? Well, apart from having a greater and more expansive mind, and many would strive just for that alone, there would be a warmer heart, would there not? There would be an even more tender and compassionate spirit. There would be greater depth and mercy toward others. A drawing even closer to him and a desire to love him. To fall at his feet as Mary did. Breaking the alabaster box and the perfume of the ointment filled the room, filled the house and went with them wherever they went for as long as perfume lasts and some perfumes last a very long time. Worship the king in his majesty. Weep with the great high priest in his sorrows. Wonder at the prophet in his revelations. These may be a few of the things that Peter had in mind, probably many more. We are by grace accepted in the beloved, Ephesians 1. We have redemption and forgiveness according to the grace of God. By grace we're able to sing, by grace we're able to be strong. Grace enables us to serve, grace establishes the heart. So how do we grow in grace and in knowledge? Well, we grow in the reception and recognition of our Saviour, uh, in ways uh, that are almost so simple it's embarrassing to think about. I think we would all agree that prayer is the first means of growth. And how simple is prayer? How complex is prayer? How indescribable is prayer? Communing with the infinite. What a wonderful thing that is. Consistent prayer, fervent prayer I think Peter's talking about. The type of prayer that he prayed uh, as he wept bitterly uh, and uh, left the place where he had uh, denied his Lord. Uh, from then until the day he saw him in John 21, I reckon he would have poured out his heart every day, every night. Some have said that um, prayer is like breathing. Uh, it's so ordinary and so simple and so everyday. 
you've been sitting here breathing for a long time already. I didn't look at my watch, so I don't know how we're going. Uh, but have you been really conscious? Have you been really uh, appreciative of your breathing? Sometimes we pray like that too, don't we? Uh, we pray for the food, and that's good that we do. Uh, we pray for many things. Uh, Lord, please find me a parking spot and, and he answers. And, and do we say thank you, Lord? Sometimes we do. Uh, but we sort of pray sometimes uh, like we breathe, uh, almost unconscious, uh, not focused, just sort of happens. Um, but uh, the other day uh, down in Melbourne, it's starting to get a little bit cool in the mornings. And, uh, but it was a, a lovely sunny day uh, and it was crisp. And uh, I walked out into the backyard and you're crunching over the leaves and the king parrots came and um, there's a bit of dew on the grass and you can smell the earth. And you stand there and you go, that's breathing. And I think Peter's saying that's how we should pray. It's an ordinary thing to do, but let's, let's really get into it. Let's really pray. Because when we do, we grow. We grow in grace. We're, we're communing with the infinite. Uh, we are having fellowship with the Creator. John Hyde, uh, praying Hyde, old camel knees, as uh, uh, we know him, uh, was known for his uh, long times of prayer, uh, where he would uh, go to a meeting and he's supposed to be preaching and uh, uh, he would just be in prayer and he'd miss his preaching time and he'd miss his dinner and he'd miss his breakfast and... Uh, he'd be found kneeling by his little uh, bed uh, and uh, then he would get up from a, a day and a night of prayer and uh, his uh, friends noticed uh, that his face shone, a bit like Moses, I imagine, uh, radiating uh, and they asked him, what, what happened? And, and he said, uh, in prayer and uh, speaking to the Lord and him speaking to me, uh, I learned a little more about the incarnation of the Saviour. Uh, that uh, the creator of all would come to this earth. And he prayed a day and a night that he might have some understanding of that. And it so enriched his life that his face shone and wherever he went, uh, people were asking him, where have you been? What have you been doing? Just praying. Simple, just breathing. But the Lord grew him in mighty ways in northern India uh, to see many come to Christ because of his prayer one time uh, an evangelist uh, was having trouble with the meetings and uh, asked uh, if uh, uh, John Hyde would pray uh, for him and with him and they entered a room and uh, he closed the door and um, uh, the biographer says he, that he fell on his knees and, and they were on their knees for uh, 10 minutes or more and not a word was spoken and uh, um, he looked over at uh, John and, and, and tears were streaming down his face and, 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 and the evangelist started to weep and uh, after a time uh, he, he just cried out, Oh God, oh God. For another 10 minutes there was silence and they were just connecting. It takes time to connect to things, doesn't it? Connecting with the infinite, the almighty. Uh, and then uh, the biographer says that the evangelist uh, heard words that he'd never heard before uh, of being in the presence of God and praying for uh, success in the ministry that people would be saved. Uh, and they left that room and uh, the man was transformed in his ministry because they had taken some time to pray. Uh, communion with the infinite. And these are pale examples when we consider our Lord and how he prayed when he went up to Mount Hermon after being at uh, um, Caesarea Philippi asking Peter, who do men say that I am? And Peter was able to say, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Took them up to the mountain and he prayed and they again fell asleep as they were prone to do. Uh, and uh, we see him in Galilee. We see him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, we see him praying all through the scripture understanding of him and his ways, praying, praying, drinking in the wonder of what it is to commune with the Creator, the Redeemer, our substitute, our Saviour, our sustainer, the builder of this church, builder of every church. The study of our Lord will show 
that he not only prayed, and we should, uh, but he worked. Before he became the man of sorrows on the cross, he was the man of Nazareth, the carpenter, doing ordinary things. But I don't think he would have done anything in an ordinary way, would he? He would have done whatever he did in an excellent way. And as he was fashioning uh, farm implements or household items uh, in uh, his uh, uh, carpentry shop there, um, it would have been uh, with uh, excellence uh, and uh, a bringing glory to his heavenly father that he would have had in mind. And as we do that, don't we grow in our gracious attitude? Don't we grow in our knowledge of Christ as we uh, want to do uh, whatever we do, whatever he has called us to do, uh, in a manner that would glorify him? That's the idea that Peter's saying here, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord. What did our Lord do? He was gracious. He was a worker. Uh, he was faithful. Uh, he was ordinary. He was humble. Uh, he prayed all the time. Not that we could be like our... You, you know what I'm saying? And it's intimidating to... Um, be challenged to pray when we know how the Lord prayed and we think, how can, how can I pray like that? Uh, I, I stumble about and I'm distracted and uh, I get confused and I could never pray like that. So we're intimidated by the wicked one to abandon prayer altogether. But we shouldn't abandon it, we should practice it. We should grow in it according to Peter here. Uh, Antonio Stradivari, uh, we would know his name, especially if you're um, a string instrument player, a violin, viola or cello. Um, when asked about uh, his uh, work, he said this one day. He said, this is my fame. Um, and people paying millions of dollars for one of his violins now that are 300 years old. Imagine paying that sort of money for what some people would see as a piece of old woodwork. Uh, he said, um, when any master holds twixt chin and hand a violin of mine, he will be glad that Stradivari lived, made violins and made them of the best. The masters only know whose work is good. They will choose mine. And while God gives me skill, I give them instruments to play upon. God choosing me to help him. He knew that he was doing God's work in building a violin. You might not be a violin maker, you might be a plumber or a carpenter or an electrician or an um, uh, office worker or whatever, whatever you are, whatever you do, uh, work at home, unpaid work, volunteer work, whatever it is, uh, for the glory of God. What a wonderful thing we can do and as we have that attitude and that mind uh, we will grow in grace and understanding of the Lord because that's exactly what the Lord did. To grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Saviour, in addition to prayer and hard work, uh, we need to add uh, a very simple thing, and it's just called ministry. It's what's been happening here for 44 years. Uh, you were all involved in different levels, in different ways. But it was the perfect servant who said, uh, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life, give his life, a ransom for many. We can't do the last part, but we can do the first part. Uh, every Christian worker, every missionary, every pastor, uh, every faithful Sunday school teacher, every faithful anybody uh, has given their life to the Lord because it belongs to him. He paid for it. He's entitled to all of it all the time. Philippians chapter 2, we read, speaks of the humility uh, of the Lord in leaving the glories of heaven. Uh, and uh, uh, thinking it not robbery to be equal with God, yet taking upon himself the form of a man and a servant. 44 years of uh, Lavington Baptist Church, where none of us can come to the depth of the Lord's humbling and service and ministry. We need to recognise that we have a part, though, and Peter said that we should grow in it. Uh, we should uh, grow uh, the mountaintops of prayer that our Saviour visited, to commune with his Heavenly Father, to be nourished in his presence, to be refreshed in the fellowship, instructed in his ways, interceding for others, praying for his disciples, to equip them, to protect them. We read in John chapter 17 that the Lord prayed for us 
not that we would be taken out of the world, but that we'd be protected in it, that we might serve him. Uh, light belongs in darkness, that it would dispel the darkness. Salt belongs where corruption is to bring purity and savour. That's where Lavington Baptist Church is in uh, Albury here uh, for these 44 years. The Valley of Ordinariness. What a place. The Obscure. Behold my servant, Isaiah declares all through in those chapters around 40 and onwards. Behold my servant, says the Lord. Didn't raise his voice to be noticed. Uh, reviled not when he was spoken ill of. As a lamb being led to the slaughter, so he was dumb. Opened not his mouth. Took everything because of us. Our sin, your sin and mine. Took it on himself, every disgusting thing that we've ever done. He said, put it to my account. I'll put my name under that as having done that. Can you imagine doing that? What a thing. The valley of ordinariness. Quietly going about the work. The service we bring will never take us to a Gethsemane. Unimaginable anguish. We will not have opportunity to have left the glories of heaven because we're not there yet, but that's where we're going. Amen. He left all of that to come here where we want to get out of. An amazing thing. Took our place among sinful men. But we need to grow in our likeness to the Lord in serving and in ministry, knowing that a day is coming when we will be known even as we are known and we shall be like him. Till then, Peter encourages us to beware, to be careful of those that would lead us astray with error and to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, you know uh, each one here, uh, those that have been part of this church for a long time, uh, those that may be visiting today, those uh, young ones that have grown up here, uh, those that are new, those that have been here from the beginning. Uh, you know every aspect of all these things. Uh, you know those that perhaps are struggling uh, with some deep need, perhaps a need of a confession of sin and coming to Christ as Saviour. Uh, you know it all. Uh, help us, Father, to uh, be willing to grow, uh, to allow you to grow that which you have put within us, uh, grace to save us, and an understanding a little of the wonder of our Saviour and what it is to be a Christian. Uh, to be called uh, a child of God, opportunity to serve you, uh, to minister, uh, that you would be glorified. All these things we give you thanks for today, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.